Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. the better part of the last decade, science fiction finally evolved from a niche genre into a mainstream staple. And while many people are familiar with the so-called fathers and grandfathers genre, the women who have been instrumental in creating and shaping the nerdverse have largely gone unrecognized. Until today. I'm Cher Martinetti, and this is Sci-Fi Wire Fangirl's Forgotten Women of Genre, a podcast where we tell the stories of the women who helped some of the most famous fantasy worlds become a reality. At the end of 1974 is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Sally Hardesty, played by Marilyn Burns, is literally running for her life. Clothes torn, body bloodied, voice raw and anguished, she makes a last-ditch effort to escape the chainsaw-wielding leather face by jumping in the back of a passing pickup. For once, luck and timing are on her side, even if none of her friends or her brother have been spared their own deadly fates. Her desperate pleas twist into wild, hysterical laughs as the driver of the truck speeds her away to safety. She'll live to fight another day, fleeing the capable clutches of evil. She's the film's so-called final girl, the unwilling heroine who survives against all odds. And the reason she's been defined that way for so long can be traced all the way back to one woman. Carol Jean Clover was born July 31, 1940. Today, Clover is a professor at the University of California at Berkeley, where she attended for both undergraduate and graduate school. Clover has a range of academic interests that are seemingly disparate. Scandinavian mythology, rhetoric language, and film studies. While I'm sure we'll devote a later series to her studies of Norse folklore, it's her interest in film that puts us here today and puts Clover right in the center of the horror zeitgeist as we know it. Her areas of interest aren't quite as random as they might seem. From old Icelandic literature to the films of John Carpenter, Clover's focus is on the social historical, specifically sex and gender. In 1992, Clover took her interest to the page with the release of Men, Women, and Chainsaws, Gender in the Modern Horror Film. And in that book, she gave us a term so powerful, it resonated throughout horror as a genre. In 1992, the landscape of horror movies looked very different than it does today. The genre had yet to experience the resurgence that would see it revisited on a humorous, tongue-in-cheek and meta-level in movies like Scream, which lovingly poked fun at some of its most well-known tropes while breathing new life into a class of cinema that had been stalled in recent years. In 
slasher film subgenre had seen a spike in popularity beginning in the 1970s. Movies like the previously mentioned Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Black Christmas in 1974, and Wes Craven's The Hills Have Eyes in 1977 were successful titles that sparked a wave of low-budget horror in the United States. They would also inspire further additions to the slasher genre, including Halloween in 1978 and Friday the 13th in 1980, the latter of which proved especially controversial in the height of the Reagan presidency cracking down on the depiction of violence and gore in film. But they were also widely popular in spite of, and perhaps even in some cases because of, their negative critical reception. On a financial level, studios knew they had a recipe for success, and both movies launched their own respective franchises. But trying to capitalize on what made the first film so great proved to have varying results. Even though future movies in the Halloween and Friday the 13th series brought in an impressive amount of money at the box office, it was starting to become clear that slasher films had effectively killed the horror genre, at least for the moment. It was during this lull in horror that Clover published Men, Women, and Chainsaws. The book offered a fresh perspective on gender dynamics in slasher movies released in the previous decades. Written from an academic and feminist perspective, Men, Women, and Chainsaws examines the appeal of horror for audiences at the time, while offering a counter-argument against its most vocal detractors, who dismiss the genre as sadistic and base. If anything, Clover suggests, horror asks its viewers, both men and women, to place themselves within the mindset and the existence of the female victim, rather than the typically male killer, and to relate to the trauma she experiences firsthand before ultimately finding a way to emerge triumphant before the film's end. Clover would be chiefly responsible for coining the term for this leading female character, a target of the killer who manages to outlive and outlast all of her fated friends, who either defeats the evil by her own sheer force of will or manages to escape to safety with help from another. This victim-turned-hero is referred to as the final girl. In Men, Women, and Chainsaws, Clover explains, she is the one who encounters the mutilated bodies of her friends and perceives the full extent of the preceding horror and of her own peril who is chased, cornered, wounded, whom we see scream, stagger, fall, rise, and scream again. She is abject terror personified. She alone looks death in the face, but she alone also finds the strength either to stay the killer long enough to be rescued or to kill him herself. How are you? Well, I'm Mrs. Voorhees, an old friend of the Christie's. According to Clover, the final girl is equally defined by her moral superiority as well as her longevity. Unlike her peers who frequently engage in underage drinking and premarital sex on screen, the final girl abstains from those kinds of activities. And for the most part, isn't depicted as having any significant sexual desires at all. She's conservatively dressed, virginal, more interested in her studies and participating in any quote-unquote extracurriculars. Even her name is often more gender ambiguous than those of her other girlfriends, like Adrian Barbeau's Stevie in 1980's The Fog, or Linda Blair's Marty in 1981's Hell Night. In Men, Women, and Chainsaws, Clover points out that the final girl eschews what would be traditionally deemed female traits and isn't even fully feminine, just as the killer 
is not fully masculine. Her sexual reluctance sets her apart from the other girls. She possesses intelligence, gravity, competence in mechanical and other practical matters, which ironically are more in line with the very boys she fears or rejects, as well as the killer himself. The final girl is also the one character who seemed to develop an almost uncanny sense for danger prior to any of her friends. It's her perceptiveness of the looming threat that awaits which often shapes some of the plot's most terrifying tension. One could argue that her decision not to have sex, drink, or do drugs, or any combination of the three, is what allows her to remain alert, vigilant, and one step ahead of the killer, even while the rest of the group falls victim to his deadly plans. In this way, Clover says, the final girl is the only character whose perspective approaches our own privileged understanding of the situation. In other words, the reason we can relate so much to the final girl, it's because she knows almost as much as we do about what's about to go down. Come on, Tommy! Now lock the door! Some of horror's biggest negative critics often cite the genre as a prime example of the male gaze, especially those films that rely heavily on framing a scene with the killer's point of view in mind, telling the story through his eyes as he quietly stalks each victim. But Clover argues it's possible that slashers, not to mention other controversial horror subgenres of the time like rape revenge, are actually intended to create empathy for the women suffering on screen, especially for male audiences. In Men, Women, and Chainsaws, she posits, our closest to him wanes as our closest to the final girl waxes, a shift underwritten by storyline as well as camera position. By the end, point of view is hers. We are in the closet with her, watching with her eyes the knife blade pierce the door, in the room with her as the killer breaks through the window and grabs at her, in the car with her as the killer stabs through the convertible top, and so on. As the plot goes on, Clover makes the case that the audience's perspective gradually shifts to the final girl instead. We're no longer lingering with Michael Myers as he hunts down unlucky teens of Haddonfield on Halloween night. Instead, we are right beside Laurie Strode, who has locked herself in the bedroom closet, curled up into a tiny ball to escape him, until she realizes she can turn a coat hanger into a weapon. Clover's argument can also be examined as a viable theory through other, more controversial horror flicks, like the 1978 rape revenge movie, I Spit on Your Grave. Here, there's no shifting perspective to speak of. As Clover points out, most of the action is registered from her vantage, and there is no doubt whatever that its sympathies lie with her. In terms of its lead, Jennifer, played by Camille Keaton, her sexual assault is unflinchingly depicted. So much so that you can't help but root for her in later scenes when she later seeks decisive, bloody revenge on her attackers. The final girl definition established by Clover would eventually transcend the scope of academia and take shape within the very foundations of the horror genre itself. But it's important to consider the landscape of its origins, as well as the myriad of ways in which horror has evolved and changed since its initial creation. Many of the exploitation films of the 70s and 80s that Clover cites in her book have since been replaced by horror of a different nature. As previously mentioned, in the 90s, horror decided to spoof itself through a new generation of movies providing their own meta-commentary. And by the early 2000s, found footage horror was carving out its own niche with films like The Blair Witch Project and Paranormal Activity. Without the traditional slasher formula to fall back on, the idea of the final girl as we know it was, for the most part, abandoned but that only allowed the trope to grow beyond its limiting stereotypes. 
When viewed through a more contemporary lens, Clover's examination of the horror genre from a feminist viewpoint can be pretty narrow in comparison. But that's just a testament to how much has positively changed in terms of the genre's biggest cliches. Clover spends much of Men, Women, and Chainsaws illustrating men as the primary demographic of horror movies. When nowadays, we know that couldn't be further from the truth. Given that the book was written in the early 90s, this is the instance in which it most significantly falls short. That said, it's slightly discouraging that a feminist consideration of horror doesn't account for any of the reasons why women might be drawn to the genre as much as men are. While it may be true that some horror movies do force male audiences to empathize with the well-being of female protagonists, Clover spends a notable lack of time discussing how readily possible it is for a female audience to project themselves into a lead of the same gender. Then again, maybe that's the point. Women don't have to work too hard to identify with the final girl when they already have their own horror to deal with in their everyday lives. You would have killed me. No, that was never supposed to happen. Even if you hadn't meant to kill me, you must have known I could have died. No. You were supposed to be the witness. A person with a clean record that could attest that our family and neighbors had been murdered by unknown lunatics. It was, in fact, a very important part of my plan that you be unharmed. The Final Girl has undoubtedly changed for the better since Clover first established the trope back in 1992. And the conversation around her has definitely surpassed the argument Clover laid out in her book. Gone are the regressive standards that lay out the unspoken rules the Final Girl has to follow in order to survive through the night. These days, she's the one enjoying herself right alongside her friends without fear of judgment or a fixed set of predetermined consequences. She doesn't just fight back at the very end when all else is lost. She takes charge right from the start and dictates her own survival on her own terms. Clover herself admits these films offer variant imaginings of what it is or might be like to be a woman, to menstruate and to be pregnant, to be vulnerable and to endure male violence, to be sexually violated. In a sense, The Final Girl is a representative of the horror genre as a whole, given how much she's evolved over the years. She's very much a product of the time she's created in, first rising up in the golden age of horror exploitation before casting off the unfair stereotypes that forced her to behave just to be worthy of our sympathy. But we wouldn't know what to call the female victor at all if it wasn't for Carol J. Clover and the book that taught us how to really examine the fact that horror, in many ways, gives women the last word. Forgotten Women is Genre is a production of Sci-Fi Wire Fangirls. Today's episode is written by Carly Main and narrated and produced by Cher Martinetti. You can find the script of this episode and so much more at scififangirls.com. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at scififangirls. Have you ever wondered how to say good morning in Italian? Or what is goodbye in French? You can ask Alexa. Just say, what is happy birthday in German? Or how do you say hello in Japanese? Do you want to know how to say I love you in Spanish? Ask Alexa and start learning a new language today.